Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to see you. Um, I hope you're enjoying your Love Hearts Week. So I thought it was either something just to kind of keep you awake in case you feel like you're dozing off during my message, or, um, or opening it up and looking, and maybe, as Martin said, having a look around the room and being strategic about who you might like to offer one of your sweets to. I'm just saying it could be the start of something very, very beautiful. That you're welcome. Um, so this is the first, as, um, the first of a three-week series, as Martin has just said, on healthy relationships. And I think most people would agree that love is a part of healthy relationships, but not everyone might agree on what love is. Some say love is blind. Some say that I looked up um, this week, love is keeping our planet green. Some say love is not what you say, love is what you do. Some say love is when every day is Valentine's Day. Now, if you're not slightly nauseous from the sweets, you might be now from that last slide. Um, I am a romantic. But beyond the cartoons, what is love? How do we really grasp it? And maybe it's something that, you're, uh, that you've not really seen modeled particularly at home. Maybe you're someone who just thinks, do you know what, no matter how hard I try, I find it really hard to sustain relationships. Or I find it really hard that somehow um, there's always a fallout with people around me, the people that I'm involved in. Maybe you feel like, I want to know what love is, Reminds me of a 1984 song by Foreigner. Um, and I want you to show me, but you don't really, you can't really get a handle on it beyond the word. And uh, so what does the Bible say about love? We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 13 this evening, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I love it that the Bible, God's word, is so practical. And the reason we're supposed to be reading our Bibles every day is because it's practical for our lives. So the stuff that's written in God's word is to help us live our lives differently. It's not just like a textbook that we're supposed to just learn and be familiar with. The whole point is that it changes how we live our lives. And this passage, this here, it describes and it, it really drills down on what love actually is. There are 15 different characteristics listed in those four and a bit verses. And we're going to look at just one verse this week. We're going to look at five distinguishing marks of love listed in verse four. First of all, love is patient. Now, the dictionary definition is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, problems, suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious, uncomplaining. The opposite is being impatient, is being agitated, being hostile. And if someone was to say to me, Emily, are you a loving person? I think I would probably say, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I am. But then when I look at that list and they're just thinking, am I, am I patient? I'm not sure how I would actually fare up against that definition, against those descriptions. And I remember a few years ago, I was taking one of our boys um, to a sports fixture. And we were in traffic. And as any of you who drive around London, or the fact that you just live here know, the traffic is often um, quite bad. And um, 
I remember, so it wasn't an unusual scenario. Traffic was bad. There were a few dodgy choices on some of the fellow drivers. And then one of the, what the you know, my son sitting in the, pa in the passenger seat next to me, he started just going, oh, for goodness sake. Oh, my goodness. What kind of a move is that? You know, and started getting real, like, road rage. And I thought, God, you're not even driving. And I was like, whoa, whoa, there, seriously. What is wrong with you? Oh, my gosh. Let's just have a little look at your heart right now. And then I realized, actually, that... It, it might have been possible that maybe at one point, some tiny, tiny chance that maybe I might have at some point displayed similar levels of impatience and actually he was just copying or mimicking what he'd seen, perhaps demonstrated in my own life on a one-off occasion. I'm pretty sure it might have been just one-off. But of course, the need for patience is not just um, needed for when we're driving around London. I wonder if I might need it when I'm also cycling and also when I'm on the tube too. But it's not just to do with transport. The truth is, we share the city with people. And most people are wonderful, incredible, inspiring people who are a total delight to live with, aren't they? Every so often, there might be just one person who's just a tiny bit testing. And how does that make us feel? Now, I know that being a Christian, the promise is never that when you become a Christian, life's going to be really easy. Um, in the Gospel of John, in the New Testament, in, in chapter 16, it says, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Very Valentine's Day. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And the truth is, we need to develop the capacity to be able to deal with frustrations, disappointments, and being let down. And love gives us the capacity to put up with difficult people and with desperate situa situations. When we grow in patience, we grow in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. The definition is generous, helpful, and thinking about other people's feelings. The opposite is being mean, being cruel, being inconsiderate. And I love um, one of the illustrations in Charlie Mackerty's book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. It's one of my favorite ones in there. When it says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kind, said the boy. And I don't know about you, but sometimes maybe you feel like the word kind is a bit of a bland, vanilla, nothingy kind of adjective. But I just think it's far from that. Because if we, in all honesty, could set our sights on being kind and master the art of kindness, we would stand a chance of having healthy relationships. So what does kindness look like in our situations? What does it look like in our relationships at school, at university, at work? Well, kindness. Kindness is paying for your friend's McDonald's after school, not just your own. Kindness is putting a treat in the cupboard of your fellow flatmate at university in halls. Kindness is making drinks for your colleagues, not just yourself, not when it's your turn or when it's your job, but doing it anyway. Kindness is wording emails with care. I mean, but the Bible is so practical. This is why we look at this. It's like, actually, because emails, it's really hard, isn't it, to get a tone. You it's hard to get a tone from stuff that's written. So actually, how do we write kind emails? You have to go above and beyond in, in communicating kindness within our emails. Kindness could be at work, giving feedback to somebody. And that's sometimes quite hard, especially if it's constructive feedback that the person it might be a difficult conversation in fact I was chatting with somebody 
um, just the other week, and she's just taken on a management role, overseeing um, sort of a, a team of five people or so. And she was saying that there's somebody in our team that actually is quite tricky to, um, to motivate, and maybe it's not the right fit for them. And we were talking about the fact that actually is the kindest thing to do to say, do you know what? Maybe this role isn't actually for you. It's a hard conversation to have. But, you know, maybe it isn't, maybe that's the kindest thing to do is actually to broach that difficult conversation and then say, let me help you find where you will flourish. Let me help you in a role where you will really succeed. And maybe that's the kindest thing to do to the rest of the team or to the organization that you seek to serve. Kindness in our workplace. What does kindness look like in our families, within our families and those that we live with? I live in an all-male household. So for me, kindness is when you need to go to the toilet, put the seat up. And then when you're down, when you're done, put it down. That, for me, is kindness. But maybe if you live in an all-female household, you might think, you might think the opposite. Um, kindness is not exposing the weakness of others when other people are around. Even in the name of humor, even if you've thought about something really funny but it puts somebody else down. Kindness is having discipline in those moments. Kindness is being generous in our relationships, generous with our time, with our children, with our parents. It's listening to others with generosity, not tolerating what other people say, and you're thinking, yes, 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 hurry up, because mm -hmm, I've got something to say, but being generous in the time that we give to others. Kindness is being generous with our encouragement. We know that we all thrive on encouragement. Actually, words of encouragement is my sort of top love language. I don't know if you've heard about the book by a guy called Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages, and I'd really recommend it. And his whole idea is that all of us give and receive love in five different ways. One being words of affirmation, the other being acts of service, doing things for people. The other is receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Now, the book itself is aimed at couples, but I think the principles that underlie the whole thing basically apply to if you've got children or your friends. And if your friend's getting a bit grouchy with you, you're a bit like, what is wrong with you if I said something? Maybe the love language is quality time, actually spending time, proper time with your friends. What does kindness look like in our neighborhood? One day, my husband, Martin, he went shopping, did the weekly shop for us. And um, as he was on his way out, I said, why don't you go and pay for somebody else's shopping as well? So he agreed. So he went out, got all our stuff, went to the checkout, and um, then trying not too, you know, too hard to look at who's got a big trolley, who's got a little trolley, um, but sort of thinking, okay, um, I will ask this person. So he said to this lady, can I pay for your shopping? And initially, she was unsure, then she agreed, then her huge husband, uh, boyfriend turned up out of the light bulb aisle, and then Martin had to explain to him that he wasn't trying to chat her up, but that he was offering to pay for their shopping. He then just thought he was odd and declined, and then they went. But the interesting thing was that the cashier is involved now, and she's listening to all of this, and Martin said to her, what would you do? And she said, well, I'd say yes if we were in America, but not in England. Not quite sure why that is. But then she said, and then this other guy comes along to the checkout, to her queue, and Martin said, what do you think? Shall I ask him? She's like, go on, ask him. So Martin says, can I pay for, this, pay for your shopping? The bloke initially is like looking around, thinking like, is there cameras? Like, what's the deal here? Why is this guy offering to pay for my shopping? And then the cashier says to him, go on, he really wants to. 
And uh, so then he agreed, and um, we put, Martin put his, this guy's shopping through, and he kept looking back thinking, is there a catch? And I was like, no, 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 it's, it's go, go. There's no catch at all whatsoever. And he went off. And the cashier said to Martin, you are the kindest man I have ever met. And that, which was very sweet. But then the guy came back, and he just said, I don't know why you did what you just did, but I've had one of the worst days of my life, and you've totally restored my faith in humanity. Now, I'm sure you can think of a hundred different examples, but kindness is powerful. Far from being bland, kindness is a really, really powerful thing. What does kindness look like when dating? Treat others how you would like to be treated. It's not a bad motto to live by. These were Jesus' words actually when he was talking about how we should respond to our enemies, let alone someone that we're dating. Now, I personally don't subscribe to the only date someone if you know that you're going to marry them because I feel like unless you start dating someone, how are you going to know? And I think sometimes that stops people stepping out and just saying, Shall we grab a coffee? Do you want to get a Starbucks? Or whatever it might be. Um, so I don't personally subscribe to that. But I, I do think if you're in a relationship with someone and you don't think that you can see any long-term future in it, then I th and the other person probably does see some long-term future in it, I think you need to have an honest conversation. I think that's what kindness looks like when you're dating somebody. Actually saying... You know, because if both of you are thinking like, well, it's not forever, but we're okay with that, perhaps that's fine. But if you know that there's not, no longevity in it, you're actually just, um, there's just going to be hurt further down the road. So I think kindness is treating others how you would like to be treated. I've got four boys and um, three of them are teenagers. And I say to them, when it comes to dating, if you're in a relationship, no matter how long it lasts, if at some point you think do you know what, it's been fun, I don't think this, I think we've come to the end of the road, I don't think this is a forever thing, just, that's okay, but just make sure you communicate well, and your role in a relationship is to make sure that you have left that person in a better place than when you found them. So actually, because if everybody entered into the dating game with that posture of actually, I want to make sure that I build you up, I affirm you, I respect you as a person, then actually it wouldn't be so wounding coming out of relationships. Sometimes it's always just hard and you can't avoid it. But that's what I love to say to the boys. Leave them in a better place than when you met them. In other words, for your part of the relationship, make sure that the time they've spent with you has meant their self-worth, their self-esteem has grown, and they feel more confident about who they are because of having spent time with you. In April, Martin and I will celebrate our 23rd wedding anniversary can't quite believe it. Time flies when you're having fun. And um, we have one of those books on the day where guests could write messages in. And I don't remember any of them apart from one. And that one message just said, be kind to one another. Now, I'll be honest. Initially, I thought, were you in a rush? Like, is that all you can write? Um, is that it really? And then I thought, gosh, do you know what? That is really powerful and really profound. If we could learn within marriage what it looks like to be kind to one another, what amazing advice. 
And uh, I know that after a few years of marriage, you can easily slip into just taking each other for granted. And we, quite early on, Martin and I decided that actually we really wanted to be intentional about noticing and thanking the other person for doing things around the house, just the mundane sort of stuff. So, and that goes for if you live with anybody. You know, if someone else empties the dishwasher, just saying, oh, thank you for doing that. I would just appreciate that. You know, someone's emptied the bin or paid a bill. Rather than just like, da-da-da-da-da, it's all wallpaper. It's like just actually making a point of saying thank you is basic, basic kindness. And uh, one time a friend of ours was visiting us from the States. And during his stay, obviously he was there for a few days, he, um, he sort of said, you guys, you're so polite to each other. I'd love to say, like, we're like that all the time, but I think our children might testify something other. But the truth is, what he'd noticed was that we're trying really hard to not take one another for granted. And we're trying to appreciate one another. And, you know, no, there's no perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage. All marriages need work and require effort. And that's why I'd love to recommend the marriage course to you. And just as you would take a car, if you have a car, just as you would take it for an MOT every year to make sure that it's running okay and that it's safe, in the same way, marriages can do, with, to, can do the marriage course. And I'd recommend you probably do it every five years. It's like, you know, life happens, stuff happens, changes you as individuals, seasons change, and actually it's really good. Thing. How are we doing? How are we doing on different areas of our marriage? So I'd love to recommend that to you. Perhaps you're in a relationship now and you're considering marriage, but you're not really sure. Then there's something called the pre-marriage course. All this stuff is super, super practical so that we can have healthy relationships, so that you can enter into marriage or maybe enter into engagement, so like a pre-engagement step into um, having healthy relationships before you commit. Marriage is a gift, but it's not the goal. And I'm aware that over the years, churches have been criticized for heralding marriage, intentionally or unintentionally, as the aim, leaving those of us who are single, who are divorced, who are widowed, feeling something less than. And if that's your experience, if that's the case, then I would just, I just want to apologize because that's not, that, isn't, that isn't true. Your worth is not based on any relationship statement. Your worth is based on what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And that is what our worth is based on. Love does not envy. The dictionary de definition is envy is desiring what others have or possess or wish that others lacked it. And the opposite of, of envy is generosity, really similar to kindness. And when someone is doing better at what you're doing, how do you respond? How do you react? How do you handle the greater success of others or popularity? If you find yourself at points maybe putting other people down, either within your heart, you know, sort of secretly, like, really annoying, da, 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 or whether you're actually vocalizing it, then I wonder whether it's possible that you might be struggling with envy in that area. And dealing with envy, it's like a huge, huge battle. But I'd love to suggest five ways to combat envy. One, practice gratitude. Get in the habit of being thankful. Get in the habit of looking at all that is good in your life and being grateful for it. Two, gossip the good of others. Don't be someone that is sort of slightly speaking negatively about someone because secretly you're envious, but gossip the good of other people. Go looking for the good in others and speak encouragingly about them to them 
and when others are not around. Three, celebrate the success of others. Four, be generous. Five, remind yourself that nobody has it all. Lots of media, lots of marketing is actually designed to tell us that you can have it, you can have it all, but the truth is you can't. I can't be a world-class tennis, um, you know, tennis player and be the senior pastor here and a mum of four. I just can't. You know, so actually it's a lie if you're a bit like, you can have it all, because you can't. You've got to make choices, you've got to prioritize. So remind yourself that nobody has it all. Uh, love does not boast. Other translations of the Bible say, it does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not strut. Just want to talk about social media for a bit. I love seeing what everybody else is up to. I love it. And there are a few people I know even in this congregation. Um, in the morning congregation, there's this woman. She does these incredible cakes. And like, I am insanely, I mean, she probably is a little bit freaked out to be honest. Because I'm like, 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 comment. This is amazing. This is sensational. You know, there's a lot of gifted people in this church. And um, so I love seeing what everybody's up to. I, I love seeing where you're going. There's a couple of friends who they're always going to these amazing places. And I just have this thing on. I do love heart in blue if they're by the ocean or, or green. Where they, you know, <laughs> I need to get out more. Um, social media is brilliant. It's brilliant for celebrating the big and it's celebrating it's great for celebrating the minutiae of life but it can be a bit of a boasting arena as well can't it I would just say just check your motivation when you're putting something on social media and use social media platforms to really brag about others rather than boasting about yourself boast about other people's achievements Love is not proud. It's like boasting. The Greek word translated here as boast means to brag or point to oneself. You know, the opposite of being proud is humble, lowly, modest, egoless. The British evangelist, pastor, and author, Dr. Alan Redpath, said, when a man or woman begins to brag, he is advertising his emptiness and his ignorance. There is no swagger about love, it is too big for that. Jesus never showed off. And in fact, his greatness was demonstrated not only in what he displayed, but so often in what he suppressed. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. How do we respond to these things today? As I say, it's in the Bible and we're looking at it not because it's something cute to put on your kitchen wall, but because it's an encouragement and an instruction for us. So how do we respond to the word of God? First, examine your heart. If we don't examine our hearts, we're not likely to change and we're not likely to grow in love. The gospel writers in Matthew and Luke quote Jesus, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Who is it that you might need to be a bit more patient with? Who have you been unkind to? Is envy causing an issue in a particular relationship? So one, examine your heart. Second, ask. Ask God to grow your love. I've heard someone say of these verses that if you put your name, you replaced your name, so rather than love is patient, if you put Emily is patient... Emily is kind, etc. I mean, to be honest, I could feel quite discouraged because I know that I'm a long way off from being able to just go, yeah, I can totally do that. And I don't know how you feel looking at that, but the truth is God wants us to grow in love. 
so that we can have the confidence then to ask him. He wants us to. That's his desire for us. That's his heart for us. So we can ask him to produce and develop in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And these marks of love are like the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit develops and grows. You know, so that's an encouragement to us. We can ask for God to develop and grow that within us. It's his desire for us, and it's his work in us. It says in 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. It's his desire for us, but it's his work within us. So examine your heart, ask God to grow your love, and finally receive joy. The gospel is good news. The message of Christianity isn't, oh my goodness, your life's a mess, you need to sort it out, you're a nightmare with your relationships, just deal with it. No, the message of the gospel is good news because Jesus came into our mess, into our dysfunctional relationships, into our lives, and he came not to rub it in, but to rub it out. He came to, by his grace, remake, renew, restore, and fill us again. God is love. Love is? Love is God. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, he speaks about God's kindness and patience that leads us towards repentance, which basically means his kindness and his patience drawing us towards him so that we can turn around and say, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. And I want to know the forgiveness. I want to know the forgiveness that is extended to me because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The generous demonstration of his love on the cross. You know, the God who rules the universe cares for you. He listens to you. He knows you. He loves you. He died on the cross because he loves me and because he loves you. So when we come to Jesus... When we continue in a relationship with Jesus, God tells us in Romans 5 verse 5 that God has poured out his love into our hearts. Remember, his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You can be filled again and again. And that's why we pray. That's why we spend time at church praying. That's why we spend time saying, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us again. Because we need his love to help grow love within us. And when we discover how much God loves us, we will discover more and more what love is and what it means to love others. This passage, very well known, incredibly practical, love is God. And his love for you helps us have healthy relationships because we know what love is.